Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Welcome back, everybody, to the Four Star Podcast. I am Brian Castle. I'm your host, along with my co-host, uh, Mr. Christopher Reardon. Chris, welcome to the Four Star Podcast again. Thank you, Brian, and uh, good afternoon to everyone out there. All right, so let's talk. Boy, this has been a wild couple of weeks. Markets have closed up big after a very, very rough week with the Ukraine invasion and everything. So, Chris, um, where do we stand right now as far as the markets go? You know, the the one thing that happened recently is commodities became number one. But where where do we stand right now? Yeah, so commodities is, is in the number one position. And from our last podcast, it's actually gained uh, 16 points. And it now sits at 299. So about to break into that 300 range, which... The last time, obviously, domestic equities was in there, and I think international equities crept up there at one point, but um, it's been a very long time since commodities has gotten up in that range, so uh, it's big there. Uh, domestic equities in the number two position still held there, uh, but it did lose nine points from the last podcast, and it's at 275. Uh, so we are starting to see a little bit of a divergence there in the one and two position. Um, we'll see if that trend continues. Uh, in number three position, international equities. This had the biggest drop. It dropped 21 points from the last podcast uh, to 189 in the third position. So really starting to see that number three position continue to fall. And if that trend does continue, we could see it uh, drop to four and see fixed income start to move up um, into that third position. So fixed income sitting in the fourth position, it's at 144. It gained two points from the last podcast. Uh, and then cash in fifth gained six points, uh, and it's at 115. Currencies in the sixth position gained uh, seven points, uh, and it's at uh, 71. So really, besides commodities, the biggest gainer uh, gains really were, were from the more conservative uh, positions. And I think that does reflect the increased volatility. Uh, we've seen, obviously, the last day and two, which you, you mentioned in the beginning, Brian, uh, we've seen a little bit of a flip of that, uh, but for the most part, the, the increased volatility and the trends have, have really um, skewed more towards gains coming from the conservative classes. It's interesting, uh, and, and that's reflected also uh, by the fact that so many of the names that have brought the indexes down have been the big uh, technology names uh, and the large cap names that went parabolic in the fourth quarter, but the average investor, unless they had an outsized you know, set of those positions, didn't do very well. When most stocks got their gains in for the year by basically the summer, and it was only those tech names that took off, 
Well, those tech names have now turned down. So there's developed a whole new uh, group of stocks out there, Chris, uh, as we begin the year. We call, let's call it the 20% Plunge Club. Uh, that was a phrase uh, quoted by Jack Howe with the Wall Street Journal report. So this past week, we saw Roku plunge by about 30%. But we've since seen uh, DraftKings, Shopify, Robolux, uh, Spotify. Uh, previously in this uh, market pullback, we've seen Netflix, Teradyne, PayPal, Facebook, now Meta, uh, and then a, a para, a new name, new name for Viacom, down 18% a day. So we've seen a lot of names uh, struggle, and they were just basically priced for perfection, actually over overpriced, and then any sign of any trouble whatsoever, they plunge 20%. So that's the 20% plunge club. Investors are looking now for st stability, and they're not sure what else they're looking for. They Maybe they want a pat on the head or you know something like that, but they clearly don't want the high octane stocks anymore. Uh, no story stocks, just cash and stable things. Uh, so that's kind of what we've seen in the last seven weeks, Chris. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to note um, the last day or two, and this could just be an anomaly and there could be unusual circumstances and I don't want to make too big of a deal about, about just two days, uh, but we've seen the last day or two almost in a exact flip occur where tech stocks kind of had a huge bounce back and a lot of the stocks that you mentioned the value uh, kind of lag so we almost saw a flip and um, there are some um, I've seen speculations in regards to that we had a kind of a little bit of a pop there and if you have several people that are shorting maybe the tech stocks or the, you know some hedge funds that are making bets on the short side because uh, you can make large gains there, obviously, if the, the stocks depreciate. Uh, if you get a pop, um, it almost feeds into it uh, because they have to cover their positions, in that case, go and purchase purchase the stock as well. So we've seen that the last day or two a little bit of a flip, um, but I think that that points to the important conversation we've had on here, which volatility, although we correlate it usually with downside, also has an upside. Uh, so you know, we I think that's really been a showcase of this market. We've had big down days and we've had some big up days. Um, and it's just, the volatility has certainly increased so far uh, in 2022. Well, and the, the biggest updates the markets will ever see on a particular update are usually in bear markets or downturns. And that, that today held that true. Now we're up two and a half percent across the board on everything. And you don't see too many normal updates like that in a bull market. Usually the markets are down so much that there's a reaction, either short covering or people just exhausted and then all the sellers are exhausted and all of a sudden, boom, they come roaring back in for a number of reasons. And so, you know, that, that holds true. So today, huge update, but boy, we've been in, in a, a wreckage of a, of a market. Uh, we came into this week, Chris, with the S&P down 8%. At one point, the S&P was down as much as 13% during the week. The NASDAQ composite down 13 went to, you know, well, well near to 20% um, by midweek, and it was in bear market territory. Uh, the Dow Jones was down 6%, Russell 1000, the Russell uh, 2000, so small caps down 10%. So everything really getting slaughtered. The worst sectors were communication services, real estate, info technology, and consumer discretionary. But interestingly enough, the best sectors were energy, again, uh, financials were flat, consumer staples are only down one. So there were places you could invest in in the first seven weeks of this year and not get slaughtered. 
Uh, in fact, the dynamic portfolio that Four Star runs as we come into today was up 3%. Uh, we gained a little bit today. Um, it did have a lot of commodities, obviously, which did very well, but had stocks and it was up a wee bit today. But uh, in a down market, when some stocks are down 20, 25%, anybody who was in those high octane tech stocks got completely slaughtered uh, in this in this uh, last seven weeks. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 a good point. I think um, commodities, like we talked about in the beginning, have definitely been, I think, the the name of the game so far in 2022. And we've been saying that in the in the second half of this year, of last year, that boy, be careful if you're playing those high octane tech stocks. We've all seen this before, and anyone who's around in 1999 remembers that. And sure enough, those stocks got slaughtered. So even though we have a rally today. Um, they're still very heavily priced, uh, multiple wise. And so, you know, this, this decline may not be over. Uh, we've been in the, in the portfolios that raise cash, we've been raising cash to protect value on the downside. And we're about halfway to a full cash position. If it gets any worse, we'll add some more cash and try to avoid loss. But uh, right now, uh, you know, things are starting to move in areas where we never figured. Um, you know, we had earnings uh, up 30% for companies uh, so far in this earnings season, but yet the expectations are that the growth is going to slow to as little as 8% uh, for the year. And so that could be another reason why the markets have been so rough. And then uh, we've also seen uh, for the first time in many, many years, gold has started to break out, Chris. So, you know, Bear Gold, Newmont Gold, the, the, all the mining companies, uh, they're starting to finally break out. And people thought when Bitcoin came on the scene and really got really fully invested in the last couple of years. And like we said in an earlier podcast, 55% of the Bitcoin owners now bought it in the last year. So um, a lot of people are new to it. Of course, now it's starting to plunge and, and people are moving into gold. So people used to say that Bitcoin is the new gold, but now it looks like gold is a new Bitcoin or maybe gold is gold again. Uh, so so gold's running as well. So Chris, what, what about the economy? You got a lot of economic numbers too, right? Yeah, so uh, we actually had some pretty positive numbers and then um, I think some underlying numbers with the inflation that uh, for the most part, I guess can be construed as negative, but retail sales on the positive note, the retail sales uh, rose um, coming into this year in January, they rose 3.8%. Uh, it's on a seasonally adjusted basis uh, from January to December. So we started seeing uh, spending again, very positive from that, especially as uh, we saw that slow down a little bit towards the end of 2021. Uh, consumer spending on that note um, rose seasonally just to 2.1% in January from December, which was a very nice rebound uh, from the revised down 0.8% we had in December. So uh, we saw kind of a nice rebound back uh, to start this year from consumer spending uh, standpoint. Then on the inflation front, uh, the personal consumption expenditures index, uh, which excludes energy and food, which tend to be the volatile categories, uh, that rose 5.2% in January year over year. Uh, so we're starting to see that spike up a little more. Uh, and that was the sharpest 12-month increase uh, for that kind of index uh, since April 1983. Uh, so obviously a higher number running there. Uh, the producer's price index, uh, which measures kind of the goods, the raw goods uh, that the producers um, uh, that kind of go into the goods we purchase, uh, that rose a seasonally adjusted 1% in January from December, so it continued to increase. 
Um, most of that, I think, was due to some of the disruptions of the Omicron surge. Um, the 12-month basis, it rose 9.7% uh, on a 12-month basis, so year over year. Uh, so that continues to accelerate, and obviously 9.7% is, is a very high number, uh, something that um, you know I'm sure the Federal Reserve is keeping a close eye on. Uh, and then um, to mark off you know, historic 2021 on the home sale side, um, the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index, so kind of the average uh, price of a home uh, across America rose 18.8% in 2021. Uh, and that was the highest calendar year increase uh, since the index began in 1987. Uh, and um, it drove the median existing home price to $350,300. Um, so we continue to see that uh, rise. I would say um, existing home sales to start the year this year in January was, were up 6.7%. It was kind of a spike. Um, we did see some slowing towards the tail end of 2021 we talked about on here. Um, most of that was expected because with the Federal Reserve uh, rate hikes expected, we saw a lot of um, home buyers rush out there, try to take advantage of the low interest rates while they could. Uh, so usually we see that spike, we could see that obviously taper off, especially as the Fed, the expectation would be as the Fed does raise interest rates, uh, that starts to kind of uh, temper that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Chris, you mentioned the thing about inflation, and we've been talking about inflation here in the podcast for quite a while. Uh, all the numbers you said, you know, are recovery numbers, and that's good, but yet that inflation number really could hamstring the economy. The Fed came into this week uh, ready to have an emergency meeting, but you know, we didn't hear anything out of that meeting. Uh, and you know, we're going to have a meeting on March 17th, and that might not really give us the clarity that we need. There's a pretty wide uh, a consensus that at least a quarter of a point of interest rate in the short run of the Fed funds rate will be, will be added and maybe 50 basis points. And so this Fed, the Federal Reserve is, we think, uh, wishing that they had started to do this last fall because we got all the negatives of a rate increase where the markets tend to react negatively without actually having the rate increase. So now with uh, the S&P down, let's say 10% roughly, and then the tech stocks in some cases down 20 and 25%. So all, the, all that's obviously negative uh, you know, reaction and we didn't even get a rate increase. So it's uh, kind of a frustrating time. That also tells us that the Federal Reserve is probably, um, uh, you know, in a difficult position to say they're going to raise rates a lot because if the economy is getting a little bit better, but yet uh, markets are reacting to this way and growth is expected to slow, it's going to be hard to see the Fed raise rates so dramatically, Chris. Uh, you know, in fact, at one point, Jamie Dimon said seven rate increases. The consensus was four. Our four-star economist, Bob Barone, says maybe one or two rate increases is all they could they could get away with. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, we've never had a pandemic economy where we went into a pandemic in the modern financial markets. Last time was 1918, and we didn't really have a big stock market back then at all. Uh, and then uh, we've never had a pandemic recovery either. So we're not sure how this is going to work. You know, Chris, you have some good inputs, right? Then you have some bad inputs, and it's like your head's spinning, and you don't really, it's hard to make sense of the whole thing. And yeah. uh, the market reacts, whatever it seems to. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say for sure with the, obviously the geopolitical tensions going on between Russia and Ukraine, or you could even call it obviously the war going on right now uh, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, the Fed would certainly want to be ahead of that. I think some of the recent pop, if you will, we've had in the market has been um, the assumption that the Federal Reserve, instead of that five, six number that was floated, rate increases that was, that was floated, it will be more tepid at the most two now. I think or at the most four I've seen now. Um, so as that those consensus come down, uh, you're going to have some pressure taken off the market, um, at least with the expectation. But you know, I think it's important, like you said, Brian, that we don't know what they're going to do. And, and this is still, they're in a tough situation. They're in between a rock and a hard place, really, because inflation is only going to increase uh, with these commodities, specifically oil. Um, so they have to really raise rates. But with all the tensions and everything going on, how much will the market take? Uh, it'll be really interesting to see, and and um, it's gonna it's gonna create and create a ton of volatility. I mean, um, we're gonna be essentially eyeing the Fed to see what they do, and if they overstep, if they do a fifty basis point, uh, we could see a, a major pullback. Yeah, we could. Uh, and and then uh, now there's all kinds of talk about inflation again, and and what inflation is doing to us, and uh, obviously we're losing purchasing power. So some of the old timers, uh, I, I count myself among one of them, uh, talk in terms of the way it was in the 70s and the early 80s when last time inflation was 7.5% was 1982. And I remember going into a savings and loan. Of course, we all know what happened to the savings loan industry. It all went bust and, and had, to, uh, had to get bailed out by Federal Resolution Trust Corp. But uh, we had a 20% money market at a local savings and loan in the suburbs of Chicago. And interest rates were very, very high. So back then, when you had 7% inflation, we also had a high interest rate. So we were still gaining something on our money. We we're gaining more than the inflation rate. Now, interest rates are near rock bottom, and we're losing ground. So some people have been saying, well, this is actually worse than the 70s, because we're losing ground. And, and in that sense, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, we're losing 5 to 7% how much that we, we get on our fixed income or cash management. So uh, you know, it's time actually to see maybe rates go up a little bit. And, you know, we think inflation will moderate. Uh, you know, the, the general consensus is by year end, uh, in, inflation will be back down to kind of a normalized like 3% level. Uh, but, you know, right now it's certainly rough, Chris. You know, I, you know, you see, uh, you know, gas prices up 40, 50%. Uh, you know, used cars are up, up 30, 40%. Uh, it's crazy. New cars aren't very nice, even you know. Uh, new cars are nicer than used, but there are no there are new no new new cars around. You know, instead of having three hundred cars on the lot, you go there and they have twenty cars. So what are you going to pick from? Yeah, so. and it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to put pressure on the the economy for sure. I mean, everyone's been hearing about wages going up, uh, but on average, wages are going up three, maybe four percent. If in, if inflation's you know clipping at seven percent. Uh, the net purchasing power of those uh, individuals is still going down. You know, they're still losing. They, they, essentially, they, they essentially lost 3% in, in wages, really, if you can imagine that. So it, and if it sticks around up here, the longer it hangs here, um, you know, we could see spending start to decrease a little bit. We could see certain implica implications happen. Um, so that's why the Fed definitely wants to get it under control. And I think if it does get down to that 3 4%, um, I think the Fed will, will kind of consider that a victory, if you will. Yeah. 
Well, and then there's always risk of a global recession if the economy continues to, uh, you know, throw some negative inputs in there and the economy slows down again and maybe they raise rates too quickly and then things slow down. Uh, so there's always a chance. Then, there, then the question always is, after all these discussions we've had about markets and the economy is, what does the market react to? Because there's pretty well, um, you know, well-researched pieces that say that even though the economy was very rough in, uh, in the pandemic year, when we basically shut down 40% of our economy in America, yeah, we still had, uh, after initial plunge, the markets recover, the stock markets went up. So there's so much cash out there. Uh, they've, they've issued $6 trillion worth of cash to the public in some form, plus all the lending at the banks that maybe the markets were reacting just to the, the flow of funds and the cash out there. So there's always the question of what, what is the economy doing? And then how do the markets react to it? Sometimes economy inputs are negative and the market still goes up. And sometimes it's positive and the market goes down anticipating something else. So I guess we always have to watch, Chris, what the market's doing. You know, we don't buy economic numbers. We don't buy wage growth numbers. We don't buy all these other numbers. But we actually buy our investments, shares of stock and, and bonds and real estate and other things. So that's what we really have to watch. And so that's what we spend a lot, our most of our time on. So, um, Chris, now you mentioned about how uh, inflation is affecting India as well. Yep. So we're starting to see inflation. Um, one of the highlights was, was India, India's economy uh, start to kind of rear its head there. Um, India's inflation accelerated to 6% in January, uh, which is well above where they usually are, which is about 3.6%. Uh, that's kind of their pre-pandemic average. So we're starting to see that impact kind of the East Asia markets as well. Uh, we've heard about it here and there in China, but it's, it's not only in China, it's in once again, India, you have it in Vietnam, you have it in other countries there too. So it's not just a US and European problem, it's really a global problem. Uh, and most likely with the geopolitical tensions, it's, it's in the short term gonna get worse. Um, we've seen a lot of central banks around the world try to get ahead of it. Uh, some have you know, already started raising rates um, to, your, to your point, Brian. Uh, in the fall, so they kind of got ahead of it a little bit before the U.S. did, but um, I think everyone's kind of trying to race to, to get it under control. Yes. Well, it is affecting the rest of the world. Um, you know, interestingly, interestingly enough, Chris, one of the one of the many trends that we've identified is you know with all the all the uh, craziness going on in Canada with Canada with the Prime Minister basically attacking the uh, the protesters who don't want mandates and masks and everything else. Uh, there's been a rush to crypto because many of the people who are involved in that rally in Ottawa have had their, their bank accounts taken away and their money taken away from a tyrannical, uh, what's turned out to be a tyrannical government in Canada. And so now we're seeing some people uh, rush to cryptocurrencies. So the whole idea behind cryptos is that you are outside the government currency uh, you're not, your assets are not tied to any one government, no matter what they do. And most of the time, it's because they're issuing too much money and creating inflation. And if, if, but no one figured that it would be because the governments are confiscating my assets and my, and my bank accounts, which is what's been happening uh, in the last week or so up in Canada. So uh, we're seeing a little mini trying to go back to cryptos 
for the real reasons people originally bought cryptocurrencies, which is to protect against governments in a different way. So, yeah, what do you think I, of that? I think that um, it's it's sad that they have to go that route because obviously, as we've talked about on here, I mean, cryptocurrencies are extremely volatile, so it's a risk. I mean, you could gain a lot from it. You could also lose half of your, you know, savings or income. Uh, but the other thing I think it's heightened, I would say, in this time is, you know, as we talk, you know, the war going on right now between Ukraine and Russia, um, the pencils, I think we've seen more cyber warfare and, and disruptions from that front and the fear of cyber attacks. And I think that's one of the drawbacks. And I think that's one of the things like we talked about, you talked about in the very beginning, Brian, why gold has actually kind of come back a little bit because, you know, gold is in itself, obviously a physical asset. And, you know, if the Russians hack, you know, the major databases here or anything happens, you know, accelerates, uh, you still have the physical asset of gold. Uh, whereas cryptocurrencies are very much virtual and can be hacked. They can be, you can be kind of locked off from them. There's a lot of implications from that front. So, um, you know, there is drawbacks to it, but I do think obviously, and I think a lot of people, you know, believe, I think the Canadian prime minister overstepped his bounds. Um, you know, I think some of the precedents he sent are, are very dangerous and, you know, could come back, are going to, I believe, come back to haunt him in many ways. But at least I think as, as last I heard, they have kind of released that power that they, uh, they invoked at the time. Uh, so they don't have that anymore. But, um, you know, it's def definitely a lot, a lot going on and a lot of, uh, um, a lot of friction, if you will. Americans sometimes forget all the protections that our founding fathers built into our constitution and then the Bill of Rights and those kinds of things that those things can't and shouldn't and can't happen in America. Uh, and and uh, let's hope let's hope it stays that way. Um, one other really interesting thing that has been unearthed in the last few weeks, Chris, is about the pandemic. You know, uh, many of our politicians have been using uh, as, as uh, Rahm Emanuel once famously said, never let a crisis go to waste. So as people are scared and wearing masks and, and enforcing vaccine uh, mandates and things like that, uh, then very often deaths were not being reported properly because it was politically expedient to report them certain ways. In fact, you know, the governor of uh, New York City, of uh, New York State, ended up having to resign uh, based on uh, certain things that he had done and, and the, the word had come out obviously that he had uh, you know, faked some numbers as well about deaths in nursing homes. The life insurance companies, however, are coming out with numbers for deaths of ages 18 to 64 are up 40% uh, from the pre-COVID era. And it might be from now, they think from vaccines, but the press is not reporting it. So many more people are dying than expected, some from COVID, but also from the vaccines. So um, whether our politicians have been telling us the truth or not, the life insurance companies have an obligation to report the truth because they then have to pay out those policies. So now we're starting to see some of the real numbers come through and they're not good. Uh, life expectancy in, in America went down in the last year and a half because so many people passed away earlier before their time. So that's really obviously a sad development. Uh, so let, let's hope now that the the vaccine mandates are over and the pandemic seems to be pretty much over. Every, you know, it seemed like everybody uh, I know got Omicron for like a day and then it went away. And so now, uh, you know, all the, all the 
infections were up big time, but it was a very mild infection, maybe a cold, and then it went away just as quickly as it came. So um, anyway, we'll see, Chris. And, you know, it's good that finally things are opening up. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the positive thing is, is I think most people have come to the realization from took longer than others, some states in particular, uh, that this is endemic and we just have to find a way to live with it, uh, mitigate it as much as possible. And I think, you know, providing for people that want to do, take vaccines and, and go that route, provide it. And, you know, um, we do the same thing with flu. The flu, um, I know, actually, we just saw, we were at um, a doctor's appointment yesterday and they said that the flu at this point is much more serious and deadly right than, than, um, than COVID, uh, much more of a risk. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it took a long time to get here to the final iteration. We hope it should knock on wood. Uh, but I think at this point, hopefully it'll, it'll just be more treated kind of as a, as a flu going forward and, and, and as it should be, because I think it's, it's here to stay. Hey, Chris, did you hear about the new variant? It only affects politicians who want to get reelected. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so they're so they're uh, they're quickly lifting their va va vax, uh, mask and vax mandates. Uh, you know, long after they probably needed to. So, anyway, um, hey Chris, on the positive side, movies are back, and the lead times for online streaming are getting longer and longer. So people want to be in movie theaters and experience a movie again. That's exciting. So uh, that's good. That's good news. That you know the economy is coming back. People are coming back, and then also uh, the media did very very well with Netflix, and so did Disney. Uh, all the all the different media that's out there doing extremely well as people are getting more social again and getting involved in in movies. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was Cinemark, um, Cinemark or AMC uh, posted their first positive quarterly earnings um, in, I want to say, eight quarters um, yeah. this last, in the fourth quarter. So I they are starting to come back. I think there is a return to normalcy people want. Um, you know, they want to go out, go on a date night, go to the movies. And and I think the, the missing ingredient, which will come back this year, is good movies to go see. Yeah. Well, and every year around this time, the list of concerts uh, in, in our city and other cities comes out. And all the different concert venues from the outdoor ones to the indoor ones and, and, you know, the seasonal ones. And so this year's concert list is longer than ever. And uh, so again, it does, Chris said, it does feel like the world's coming back to normal. And for all you, all you betters out there, the Super Bowl's over and the NFC uh, won the LA Rams. So back in the old days, we used to say if the NFC won, that meant the stock market was going to go up. And if the AFC won, then that the stock market would go down. I'm not sure that's true anymore, Chris. But nonetheless, those of you who remember that one, you can bet on the stock market going up now uh, because the LA Rams uh, beat the Cincinnati Bengals. So what else you got out there, Chris? Anything for our, our investing public today? I'm just trying to think of the past Super Bowl champions and the reaction of the market. So I guess the Tampa Bay Bucks were NFC one last year and the market did go up. So maybe there is some validity to that. There was that way in the 90s, that's for sure. Some of that stuff has changed. Well, great. Well, we just want to give everybody an update. We'll be back with some great interviews uh, on, on today's Market Explained podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on the Four Star Podcast. And we'll be back with another episode of really interesting things to say. Thanks again for being with us.
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial and investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. Thank you.